0: Well, we've been uh, uh, looking at uh, Nehemiah and talking about this uh, subject of vision and uh, talking about how vision starts, you know, with a, with a conviction about how the way things ought to be. And then we talked about last week about the whole idea of prayer and the role of prayer in vision. And uh, we're just going to continue on the same path. We're just c- continuing our way through Nehemiah. And uh, uh, the, in your notes, it says this, vision develops Through the favor of those in authority. This is like a really big issue right now that a lot of people don't realize. God wants to give you something to do. But there are very few things that you can do that are so small that you can do it by yourself. It always requires your ability to get the cooperation of others and especially those in authority to be able to accomplish anything great. Uh, In your notes it says this, anyone who sees the fulfillment of vision has had to receive favor from some human authority to do it. Some person holds the keys to you seeing your vision fulfilled. You're not just going to go out there and just do your thing. You may have a dream of doing something with children. or this. You're not going to do it just yourself. You're going to need uh, people in authority that give approval to you. It could be pastor. It could be the town board. It could be a business leader. It could be a parent. It could be a spouse. Somebody else is going to have to help you to accomplish what God has put in your heart to do. If you have anything in your heart, you feel like anything, like, man, I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to... You're going to need the cooperation of somebody else. And so what we want to look at here is how... Nehemiah was in exactly this situation. God had put into his heart this... This dropped into his heart that he was supposed to do something about Jerusalem, that he was supposed to rebuild the walls of the city, but there was no way, how could he, he was the cupbearer, there was no way he could do that. And so he realizes he needs to get the favor of King Artaxerxes, the ruler at that time, he needs to get the favor of that king, if he's going to be able to accomplish the mission and the purpose that God has put into his heart to accomplish. And so how does he do it? Let's look here in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting with verse 11. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today. We talked about that last week. Make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. So he says, he, he, he knows nothing is going to happen unless I can get the cooperation of this person. And he goes on, he says, now I was the cupbearer to the king. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And so the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? There is nothing but sadness. This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Now, the reason he was very much afraid is that at this time period, um, when you were the king, it's hard for us to envision there's no checks and balances. We're talking absolute power and authority. And uh, you know, if uh, if you irritate me, I have to learn how to adjust to your to that irritation. I have to learn how to defer. I have to change. But when I when this guy's got absolute power, so if something irritated him, he just would go gone, and you were done. Your job was done. If he really felt bad about it, you were done. You were just dead. He just wanted, you know. He just did, uh, you know. You, you brought sadness into the king's presence. You're done. You're you're out of here. See. So this is like a. This is what he says. That's why he says I'm very much afraid. And it says, I said to the king. Now he steps up. He realizes in a really is a turning point moment here. Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire. And then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleased the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. So he comes into the king's presence, attracts his attention because of the sadness that's on him, and then prays for the favor of God. Remember, he prayed, give me success this day before. He prays for the favor of God, and sure enough, he gets the favor of God. So let's talk about uh, what we can learn from this passage. Okay, number one. Nehemiah overcomes the intimidation of facing authority with his vision. You know, many visions never get off the ground because people are intimidated to deal with the authorities. Nehemiah had some real fear to face because if he displeased the king, he could lose his life. But but people are intimidated you know, that spirit of intimidation. I just want to break that in prayer today. We're going to break that off of you today, that spirit of intimidation, um, where, you have, where you have this struggle with, uh, with authority. This is what it says in Proverbs. It says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So Nehemiah realizes that his success was not dependent on the whims of human authority, but, uh, but that God had the heart of the leader in his hand. So Nehemiah goes into this situation, he realizes you know, he's taking his life into his hands to speak to the king. But he, he realizes, no, the, 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 the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. The, he, he says, God is in control of this situation. All authority has been established by God. So I can believe that God is able to minister to and speak to and challenge this person who is in authority. I can trust this, you know. Um, we see this in a couple of places in the passage. Uh, in, in verse 11, it says, First Nehemiah asked God to grant him compassion before the king. So he recognizes this. He, he's asking God, you give me compassion before the king. And then it says, and the king granted them to me because of the good hand of my God was on me. So he's, he realizes that if I have God on me, I can go before authority without fear, and I can trust that God is going to impart what I need. He's going to do whatever he needs to do in the authority that is there so that he gives me favor, gives me success, so I can accomplish the thing that needs to be accomplished. Now, the truth is there are just so many things that cannot be accomplished without the favor of those who are in authority, both secular authority, spiritual authority. We need their favor to do it. And uh, you know, I think of my life. Like I said, very little in life can be accomplished by yourself. I remember when I was here as a student. I graduated and went up to Oswego, New York, where I eventually—I went there with a vision to start a ministry to college students. It eventually, became Basic College Ministry. And there was a little church in Oswego, New York, that I went to. Uh, the first night, I or first day I was there, Sunday morning, there were about thirty people in the church. And, uh, and I remember the evening service, there were about six people, which included uh, me and the pastor and his family. And, you know, there, there weren't very many people there is what I'm trying to tell you. And, uh, and so, uh, but it was located right in this college town. The church eventually blossomed and grew to a great, be a great church. But, but, but at that time, that's, that's the situation that we were in. So I went there, and I had this heart to reach out to the university campus there at, uh, at uh, Swigil State College, and I, um, uh, I, I got a job. I didn't have any money. I got a job uh, selling clothes, Shapiro's, little clothing store downtown Oswego. And, uh, and so I was doing that and, and let, you know, left here in, you know, May and got that job June, July. I'm in August, and the Spirit comes to me one day and very clearly says to me, give up your job. Just lay the job down and trust me that you can work full time on this campus. And so, you know, I was like, whoa, okay. and This was especially shocking because, as I told you, the church was small and the pastor of the church was not full-time. The pastor of the church worked driving a school bus so that he could minister to these people in Oswego, New York. And so the pastor of the church wasn't full-time, and now the Lord is speaking to me, I want you to go full-time to reach this thing. And so what do I need? I need the favor of the person who's in authority, which is this pastor. And so I go to him, and I say to him, his name was Ron Smallman. I say, Ron, I said, I feel like God has spoken to me. I said something. I said, it's almost embarrassing for me to, to say it to you, but I feel like the Lord told me that I'm supposed to go full-time reaching out uh, to the college students. And Ron sat with me, and we prayed together, and we talked, and then he said to me, he said, he said I, I think this is the Lord. He says, and to help you, he said, is, I'll let you live with me. You can live with me in my house for $15 a week, you know, basically covering the food I ate, for $15 a week, you can live with me in my house while you do this. So I had about 60 bucks in the bank. So that was four weeks. And, uh, and, uh, and so I gave up the job. Gave my two weeks notice. At the end of my two weeks notice, I came home. And there was a letter waiting for me in the mailbox. I opened the letter. And it was from a high school teacher that I had. She was a, she was a believer. And uh, right, right in line with what, our, what Dr. Gant said to us. And she said to me, she said, I was praying for you today. Now, I had no, you know, little contact with her. She said, I "I was praying for you today, and I felt like the Lord said to me to send you $50 a month. And so she started sending me $50 a month at that time, which she sent to me for every month for 30 years until she died. Every month for 30 years. She was the platform, the beginning. And so with that $50 a month, and me doing little part-time things on the side, I went full-time reaching out on the campus. That was the beginning of basic college ministry, the start of that whole thing, how it got all rolling, all that happened. What I'm saying to you is, though, it could never have happened without the favor of Ron Smolin. I remember um, right here you know, on campus uh, back uh, some years ago, uh, we built the, the uh, church building over there. So, uh, you know, God speaks, it was 1994, we had a revival that hit here uh, on campus, it was very powerful, people came from miles and miles around to be a a part of it, it literally affected the whole fellowship of of, uh, Elam and all that was involved, but during that revival, the Lord spoke, he he said, you need to build a, um, uh, a, a church, on campus here you need to build a church on campus and i was standing up i remember i was up on the platform here looking down here and uh and i was looking and he said he said the lobby of the church will be bigger the lobby area will be bigger than this whole building right now so this was like absolutely shocking i went to paul johansson who was on the platform i i, I we he and i went down in the, i said god just said something to me so so crazy i said that we're supposed to build a, a building here on campus you know and uh, he confirmed it. He said, yes, I'm with you in it. You know, and so we began to step up. So we raised money. We're doing this, doing that. All at once, in the town, down on this street over here, the street that goes down, there were some people that got all up in an uproar about the idea that we were going to build a church here build, build this, new, this new building that was going to have entrance from Dalton Road and everything like that. When I say they got all in an uproar, I mean they started going to the town meetings and you know standing against it. They, they started having meetings. They, they, their meetings, they were at the Lima Gun Club. You don't want the people who don't want you to do something to be coming from the Lima gun club. You know what I mean? That is not a good thing. But that's where they used to meet together and where they were organizing and they were passing out literature and material, all to get us to stop building this building. And so I was like, whoa, what is happening? You know, the, 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 I remember reading some of the literature they, they, they sent out. You know, they said, they said um, um, th- this is going to be, they're gonna, this building is going to be filled with people singing, and the music will be so loud, it will disturb everybody, you know. So then we said, well, no, actually, it's going to be totally enclosed and air-conditioned, you know. So the next piece of paper I got said, the building is going to have air-conditioners so big, they will sound like planes landing. That's what, they, that's, what they, that's what they were putting out. This is the stuff they were putting out. So I, I didn't know what to do, you know, and I just, I, I just prayed, and, uh, and I felt like the Lord said to me, Talk to whoever is the leader. So I said, Okay, so I, I found out who's the leader of this group. It was a nice little old man lived down the street there that got it in his mind that this was going to be a terrible thing to have a church here. And, uh, and so I, I contacted him, and I said, Could you have lunch with me? I'd like to just open up and show you the plans of the church and what's happening and this kind of thing and and kind of get get some of your thoughts. So he said yes. And so we went down, little restaurant down here in town, and we had lunch together. And after lunch, I rolled out all the plans. And, as, of course, as we're sitting at lunch, you know, we're talking. He's telling me about his grandchildren. I'm talking to him about this thing and that thing and, you know, where he used to work before he retired and just, just having a good time. We sit down. I open up the plans. I ask him some questions. Are there things you're concerned about? Tell me what you're concerned about, you know, and this kind of stuff. And he looks at things. Talks, he says, oh, no, it looks pretty good. He said, I don't see any problem, you know, that's good. And I said, okay, well, you know, for a guy who doesn't see any problem, you're, you're stirring up an awful lot of trouble. I didn't say that. I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And, 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 uh, and so anyway, the, we leave that lunch. All opposition ends. All opposition ends. Why? Because God gave me favor. You see? There isn't any, you're not going to be able to do anything great unless you have the favor of people that are around you. They, they need that. You have the favor of people who are in authority. Now, sometimes people struggle because of intimidation. You know, you, uh, people get intimidation relating to authority. Sometimes it can happen because of family issues that you had, maybe a weird authority structure or situation in your family. Sometimes you could have been at weird, other kinds of weird environments. But somehow you picked up a fear... Of authority right I see it here on campus you know it's because I'll be walking down the thing and a student will be walking it's just me and them just going down the thing and I'll see them put their head down and walk by me you know like this and uh, you know no no looking me in the eye you know what I mean I used to, my kids have all been trained you know you, you when you greet an adult you look them in the eye and you shake hands with them just, your dad trained you too did he? okay <laughs> And you look them in the eye, you shake hands with them, you know, you, you, you talk. But, but, you know, I can see on campus, I'll be walking along, and I'll see people, and all once, I'll just see them go, you know, kind of get to that. And I know they have, it's, I've come to learn it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with a woundedness that has somehow come into your heart that's given you a fear about authority And God wants to heal you of that because God wants to do something great through your life. And it's impossible for him to do something great through you if you're intimidated, if you're walking around with a fear of people who are in authority in any kind of a way. See, And God wants to deliver us from that. When we pray at the end of our our time together, I'm just going to pray with you just to break that spirit of intimidation off of you uh, completely as we're uh, as we 're moving together okay, so let 's go on and see what more is here Nehemiah number two nehemiah ap- prepares to approach authority about his vision with careful planning. We learn from nehemiah two one that Nehemiah took four months in prayer and planning to prepare for this meeting with the king uh, uh, what um, What was Nehemiah doing for four months? We get a description in Nehemiah 1. He says this, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, many times people see a contradiction between spending time in the presence of God and planning. I never have. Let me just say to you right now, you know, some of you, you wonder, you know, you try to pray and you pray and it's like you pray everything you can think to pray, and five minutes has gone by, and you're thinking to yourself, I just must not be... There must be praying people and non-praying people. I'm one of the non-praying people, you know what I mean? I just don't have, you know, I mean, there are people that have them But it's because you don't understand that when, when, we, when he talks about fasting and praying, it's not just talking about me just supplicating God, oh God, please do this for me, please do that for me. It's not. Just, it's about me connecting with the heart of God and then letting that express itself. Many times when I'm preparing to preach uh, for example, I'll be working, sitting at the computer, type some thoughts out, and then I get up and I'm just pacing up and down in my room. I'm, I'm singing in the Spirit. I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm asking God to move in the Spirit. Lord, speak to me. Make this real to me. Lord, how does this, what does this look like in real life? And then I sit down I type some more. Uh, when I'm doing some new ministry or starting something, I, 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 I'm, I'm praying in tongues and, and, and walking around pacing and praying and in the presence of the Lord, and I'm putting my thoughts down, and I'm, I'm doing this kind of stuff. And this is exactly what Nehemiah does. For four months, he prays and plans. He doesn't just praise, oh God, God, we do this, oh God, no. He prays And he plans. Now how do I know that he was praying and planning for four months? Because when he gets into the presence of the king, the king asks him questions and he never hesitates, but he has an answer to every question the king asks him. Why does he have an answer to every question? He has an answer because he had already sat down and thought about this as he was praying before the Lord and had written his thoughts down, his answers down, and now he was ready to, to respond when the king asked questions. He, he under, Nehemiah under, understands something. You know, leaders specialize in making decisions. That's the, that's the number one thing that leaders do, they make decisions. To become a leader, this is what you have to learn how to do. You make a decision, and then if it doesn't work out good, you say, we're changing that decision. You have no, you have no, you know, some people, they make a decision, and it's like, oh, I can never, you know, they're so attached to the decision, they can't ever back away, right? But to be a leader, you have to be able, because the people around you, you know, if, if you were to look at most of my day, most of my day is making decisions. Danuta sends me a note what about this? I have to make a decision. Is this going on? Make a decision. Is this going to, you know, make a decision. You know, if you're afraid of making decisions, right? But you got, the reason I'm not afraid of making decisions is I'm not afraid to back away if I make a bad decision, right? I look at it and go, oh, that didn't work out good. Okay, let's back, let's back off. Let's back off on that. But you have to be able, and so Nehemiah understands something. He's got one moment before this ruler The ruler is going to ask him some questions, and he has to be able to answer. Why? Because that king is going to make decisions right there in that moment. He's going to make decisions, and Nehemiah has to give him the information that he needs to be able to make those decisions. Leaders know the right questions to ask. Do you remember some of the questions? He he said, what would you request, he says to, to Nehemiah. How long will the journey be, and when will you return, he asked Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah then offers him a material list and asks for special permission he will need. Um, in, in your notes I put down, the key questions we need to answer in planning our vision are not hard. Okay, very simple little group of uh, questions here. They're so ingrained in me now that it, they just, you squeeze me and these questions will come out. First one is Why? And that has to do with the purpose. What, why are we doing what we're doing? The second one is who will be needed. That is, anything you're going to do is going to require people to help you to do it. You can't, it, it has to be a very small thing if it doesn't require other people to help you. So who will be needed? Next one, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What is it you're going to do? And then when, what's your schedules? See, it's very simple. Why, who, what, when, what's the timetable? How is this going to work? And then where are you going to do it? What's the locations? What's the geography? Are we going to hold that meeting in the tabernacle? Are we going to hold it in the dining hall? Are we going to do it here? Are we going to do it there? What permissions do we have to get to make that happen? See, it's, it's, it's where and then how. What are the steps that get me from where I am now to where we want to be? And then last of all, very important one, the last one here, how much? That is, anything you're going to do is going to have a cost tag associated with it. If you have a vision, you have something you feel God wants you to do, there is going to be a price tag associated. Now, it's not always dollars. Sometimes the things that you feel God is telling you to do, are not going to require dollars out of you, but there will always be a price tag. It'll be a price tag of time in some cases. It'll be a price tag of relationships in some cases. There will always be a price tag and whatever. So how much? How much is this going to cost for us to pull this thing off? Jesus tells us, right, count the cost before you do something. Sit down. So you, you, you write these words down. Memorize this little list. Why, who, what, when, where, how, how much. Memorize that little list and you will be ready to... Put a plan together whenever you get confronted with something. You'll be able to put it together because you have this list. The purpose, who will be involved, uh, what are you going to do, the schedule, location, steps, how much. So when the king sees that Nehemiah has thought out his vision, he immediately gets with the plan. And you will find this to be the case also. And that is that people are looking to attach themselves to competent the, 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 everybody wants to be a winner, right? You, you, when you look out, you want you want to be on a team that's going to win. You you, you want to do that. And so when when the king looks at this, and he every question he asks, Nehemiah has an answer to it, and shows that he's been pray, praying and planning and thinking. And he's got he's got when, when he sees that, the king says, "We're, we're going to do this thing." He he, he gets he, he's got favor over him because part of it is because the king can see this, the, the, the plan that's involved. And when you go talk with people and you share with them, not just the, the idea, the dream, the vision, but then when they begin to ask you some questions and you can give them, you know, well, I, I think we could do this and I think we could do that. And here's an answer that I think of this situation. You know, I, I, I always try and spend time Uh, You you always have to remember the vision is always vulnerable because usually it's something that hasn't been done before. So the vision is always vulnerable. So you've got to spend time in prayer and in in planning so that when you finally get to the place that people are questioning the vision, because people will question it even if they like it. They're going to question the vision. You've got to be able to give them some answers and show that you've done some thinking. A lot of times the way I would do things is I would present, like for example, if I was doing trying to lead my church in something, I would present first to the elders of the church, and then I would find out what questions that came out with them. And then I would work to research and make sure I had answers to those questions, and then we'd present it to all the home group leaders of the church and then we'd present it to all the ministry leaders in the church. Each time, I would be taking questions. By the time I got to present it to the whole church, I, I, I had all—I worked through it, and I had a good, clear idea of what needed to be accomplished and, and how it was going to happen, what was going to happen in that situation. I remember when we were working on this building. Now, you've got to remember, when, we, when I did this building, I'd never built a building before in my life. I mean, you know, something like this. It was There was... But we're talking millions of, even the idea of the word millions, everybody say that word, millions of dollars, you know, the idea of millions of dollars touching my hands, I, I had never had any experience with anything like that. And, uh, and, and so, so we came to a certain point and we realized, okay, we're going to need to get a loan for, but so we were going to raise about $2 million, but we figured we would need to get a loan for about $2 million to pull off. Uh, getting this building built at that time. It's worth more than that now, but at that time. So I had to go to the bank. Remember, you can never do anything great unless you're able to convince other people to come with you. I had to go to the bank and try to talk the bank into giving me $2 million. So that was like, talk about intimidating, right? That was like, whoa. And uh, so I I was thinking about this. And anyway, I ran across this guy Who was a a minister now, but he was formerly a a banker. So I said to him, I said, I said, okay, I said, help me, how do I do this? And he said, well, I got this thing right here. He says, this was how they trained us in the bank. If you were gonna give uh, loans to nonprofit organizations, these were the different things they were looking for certain ratios and different things. And so I took his material and I put together a whole thing, answering all the questions that I knew the banker was trained to ask about working with us, what was going to happen, right? So finally the day comes and the banker comes to sit down with me. Banker comes to sit down at our offices, see what's happening and stuff like that. And we get to we have some small talk and talk about the vision of the church and things that were happening. And uh, he, he, wants, he wants to start talking about the loan. And I pull out this little pamphlet I put together and I hand it to him. And basically, it answers every question before he can even ask it, right? And he, he reads through this thing. Well, what about this? I'll just turn the page. He turns the page, and there's the, you know. Have you thought of, tr- just turn the page. There's, you know, there's right there. And he finished there, and he stopped, and he looked at me. And he said, well, I've never had an experience like this before. <laughs> He's, he said, we, we're going we're gonna to definitely get on board with you, right? We're going to definitely get on board with you. We're going to give you this $2 million, it was It was a, it, it, it was, um, he could see, God gave me favor. You, you get what I'm saying? But the information he gave me, he gave me favor in other ways. He gave me favor so that I could do what needed to happen in this, uh, in this situation. And that's the way it is. We always need that to accomplish anything for God. All right, I want to pray for you right now. And this is what I want to pray for. I want to pray... To break off any spirit of intimidation on you as it relates to authority. Now that doesn't mean when we eliminate uh, intimidation, it doesn't mean that we don't honor those in authority and give respect to those in authority. And that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that, that intimidation that comes over you where you can't even look people in the eye. Where you're, you're um, you, you, you know, you just, you just feel like I, I wouldn't know what to say. I can't possibly, how could I, you know, in this situation? Who am I to, you know, any of that kind of stuff. When God is with you, you're the person to get the job done. That's who you are. And God wants to strengthen you right now. But he's got to break off of us the spirit of intimidation. Every time you see me, I want you to look me right in the eye. Hi, Pastor Mike. Hello, how are you doing? You know, that's good, right? That's good. No, no, like, you know. <laughs> no, no, none of that, right? Just look, if we shake hands, I want you to shake my hands, I want you to look me in the eye. You're not afraid. You don't have a spirit of intimidation, see? And I want to pray for you that. So if you feel that somehow, through some set of circumstances, through some, just some situation, you've ended up, Having to battle with intimidation, you find yourself battling battling with intimidation, particularly with those in authority. Just stand to your feet right now, and I want to pray for you right now. You just your battle with intimidation—it's just something that you know you just feel like, whoa. Hallelujah. Okay, everybody, just begin to pray right now. Just pray in the spirit right now, Lord. Uh, brothers and sisters are standing up right now, and they're saying, "Well, wow, this is something I just it just triggers an insecurity inside of me, Lord." But you say something to us, Lord. You say the righteous are as bold as a lion. And Lord, we're not talking about disrespect or anything like that. But God, that there would be no fear, there would be no intimidation in these hearts. Why? Because they are called of you. They are anointed of you. If God be for me, who can be against me? Who can be against me? And I just right now just bind every spirit of intimidation right now. We pull it down in the name of Jesus Christ. And I release these lives to be bold, courageous. Lord, I I pray that someday they will look back and they will say, man, who would have believed on that day when I stood up talking about this spirit of intimidation that God would ever have used me to do what I'm doing today. Because you're going to do some things that people are going to go, where do they get the courage? Where do they get the boldness? Where do they get the ability? Lord, I just believe right now for a powerful release of your boldness. Lord, boldness in every heart that's standing before you right now. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's applaud the Lord right now. Can we do it? Thank you, Lord. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. We trust you, Lord, for the victory. We trust you. You can finish the work you've begun through us. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great lunch.